All right, well, good morning. I just want to echo what Clay said there and just thank God for the salvation that we have in Christ. And everything that we're going to talk about today is is only possible because of that salvation, uh, what God has done uh, for us, what God has done in us through His Spirit, uh, and then how we live that out in obedience to Him. Um, So we're working our way through the fruits of the Spirit uh, from Galatians 5. We started in verse 22 about seven weeks ago. Uh, and I'm excited to announce that we are almost ready to start verse 23. So I hope you're all excited about that. A lot of churches will do verse-by-verse preaching. We do word-by-word preaching here. Uh, take a lot of pride in that, uh, and I think we're making great progress. But before we get to verse 23, uh, we've got three fruits left to look at together, uh, and today we're going to look at what the Bible says about the fruit of kindness. Now, there's a lot of overlap in this book. Um, when we come in and try to do a sermon that's uh, very... Um, specific to one fruit that Paul lists here. There's a lot of overlap uh, with all the different fruits that Paul talks about here. This is, this is the one result uh, that um, takes place after the Spirit comes and dwells in us and starts doing His work in us. It's, it's one life that Paul's <clears throat> talking about here, and then he talks about it um, in the context of different fruits. Uh, I think we're going to see it particularly with the, with the fruits of kindness and goodness, that there's a lot of overlap between those two. These these two outworkings of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life are really two sides of the same coin. Uh, that coin being a desire to act in the best interest of others and then the outward demonstrations of that desire. Uh, there isn't really a sharp description between the two and uh, sharp distinction between the two in Scripture. Uh, so even though we're going to try to focus today primarily on where our heart and our attitude are, you can't really talk about the attitude without also talking about the outworking of that and the actions that result from that attitude. They're both part of being a kind and a good follower of Jesus. Uh, But for the sake of maintaining a bit of distinction between the two, uh, we're going to say that kindness is the attitude or the motivation behind our actions, and goodness is those actions that uh, proceed from that attitude. So I'm grateful that Pastor John will be preaching on goodness next week, uh, so you won't end up hearing the same sermon twice from me. Uh, To help us understand kindness in this way, I want us to have a definition to work off of. But first, before we get to that, I thought it might be helpful uh, to state what kindness is not. Pastor Aaron has talked a lot about false fruit uh, during this series. Uh, He said that for every genuine fruit of the Spirit, there's a corresponding false or imitation fruit uh, that masquerades as a fruit of the Spirit. So these false fruits represent our attempts or the world's attempts to display these spiritual characteristics, but to do so apart from the Spirit of God producing them in our lives. Uh, They're the best that we can do in our flesh. I think most people who read this list would say that these are admirable qualities to have. Um, Everyone wants more peace and love and joy and kindness, right? That's every beauty queen's response to every uh, question. I want more uh, world peace. I want more love in the world, right? Uh, But not everyone wants to take the necessary step of submitting to God and to His Spirit working in their lives in order to be marked by these fruits. So they want to exhibit goodness, uh, excuse me, godliness, Right? Even though they, they probably wouldn't articulate it that way, they want to exhibit godliness, but they don't want to go through God to get there. They're trying to be like God, but they're not willing to walk in obedience and submission to God. Does that sound familiar? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It's a sin as old as mankind, taking that innate desire for goodness, which is a, a God-given desire, that we possess as His image bears and trying to make our own version of it that leaves God out of the equation. That's what we do when we try to produce false fruit. 
these counterfeit versions of spiritual qualities. They're as useful, as God, uh, useful to godliness as wax fruit is to our hunger. Right? They might look good, but they're not ultimately going to meet our needs. And in this case, that's our need to demonstrate that we belong to Jesus by evidencing the work of his spirit in our lives. We want the real thing. We don't want to settle for the false fruit. So what's the false fruit of kindness? It's being nice. The false fruit of kindness is being nice. So my message today is this, and if you don't hear anything else I say, I hope you'll hear this. Stop being nice. Just gonna make a nice little sound by wouldn't it? Welcome to church. Stop being nice. What's wrong with being nice? Well, there's nothing wrong with being nice, but if being nice to others isn't flowing out of an attitude or a disposition of kindness, we're not saying it's wrong, we're just saying that it's not enough. Right? Being nice is great, but we're not called to just be nice. We're called to be kind, and kindness is more than just being nice. It involves not just our actions, but also our hearts. And it's a disposition that Paul says will be the result of having the Spirit working in us to change us and make us more like Jesus. Living the Christian life is dependent upon God accomplishing His work in us that we couldn't do on our own. Namely, that work of growing in how much we look like Jesus. So the world says being nice to others is sufficient. God says we need to be growing in kindness. We'll define kindness in a moment, but I want us to understand why being nice isn't enough. Being nice is insufficient for the Christian who wants to grow in his or her Christ-likeness. And hopefully that includes all of us in the room, right? We should all be desiring to look more like our Savior. But that's insufficient because it is generally only measured by our actions. We can do nice things, but still have an ugly heart. Now, most of the time, that ugliness is going to work itself out in some way. We can't hide it forever. But we're also really good at faking it. And we can do all the things that are necessary to be considered a nice person and still have a lot of bitterness and anger and hatred in our heart. What does this look like? Well, I'll give you an example from my week. Uh, This is a very small thing, but I was walking into the gym and there was a guy coming out at the same time and he kind of got to the door first. So he opened the door and kind of stepped in the way and held it for me for a second. And so I just scooted down and said, excuse me, and walked in. um, And he said, you're welcome. And uh, I was just, oh, sorry, thanks. And I was just thinking, you know, he did that to be nice. It was kind of the socially expected thing to do to hold the door for me. But when I didn't reciprocate and do the socially expected thing of saying, thank you, I said, excuse me, and tried to scoot around him, uh, he made it, made it very clear to me that I, that I hadn't met his expectation um, and that I hadn't uh, responded in kind to what he had done for me. And I should have said thank you. Uh, I'll admit that. Um, but uh, I think that is a little bit of an example of what we do when we do something nice, but we don't actually have a heart or an attitude towards someone um, that is marked by kindness. And I'm certainly uh, guilty of the same thing. I'm not picking on this guy. I, I actually thought of an instance where I did the exact same thing a few weeks ago to someone who didn't say thank you to me the way that I thought they should have. Um, we can do certain things that make us feel like nice people by acting in a certain way, but we have a tendency to neglect or excuse our heart and our attitude. And those matter much more to God than the outward things that we do to try to look good, right? Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. For Samuel 16, 7. God is much more concerned about our heart. And the good news for us is that he is in the business of changing hearts. He does that by sending his spirit to live in us and make us more like Christ. Part of that process is going to involve us being more kind and growing in kindness. So how do we define kindness? I, I couldn't decide on one definition, so you've got three fill-in-the-blanks there in your bulletin that hopefully encompass how we should think about the fruit of kindness. So kindness is an inner disposition to act for the benefit of others. 
It is an inner disposition to act for the benefit of others. Kindness is the attitude that motivates our actions. It's about kindness and goodness being both of this. Kindness is the attitude that motivates those actions when we act in in goodness toward others. And then finally, kindness requires both possessing and expressing love for others. I think we tend to think about the second half of that, about expressing. If you want to be a kind person, you need to do nice things. But that is also possessing love for others and then letting that work itself out in our relationships. You can pick whichever one you like best. They all really say the same thing, and that is that biblical kindness, this indispensable fruit that Paul tells us should be evident in the life of every believer, includes both how you feel about and how you act toward other people. It involves your heart just as much as it involves your actions. So if you don't love in your heart toward others, even if you do all the nice things for others that are required or expected of you, then you do not possess the fruit of kindness. And that means you're actively either resisting the Spirit's work in your life, or it may mean you don't have the Spirit in your life. Paul gives us this list of the fruits of the Spirit as as a plumb line that we can compare our lives to and orient our lives against. And if your life looks more like the list he gives right before this, the desires of the flesh that he lists out there in verses 19 to 21 of Galatians 5, then God may be calling you to stop and to repent and to ask him to save you and to give you his Spirit so that you can begin this path of sanctification, which is the process of looking more and more like Jesus uh, that begins after God saves us. If you do belong to Jesus and you do have his spirit living and working in you, then you should be seeking to grow in kindness, to have this inner attitude of love and then express that love outwardly to other people. It's not enough to do nice things for others if we don't have love for them. And it's also not enough to feel love for someone and not take the opportunity to express that love as opportunities arise. If we're a follower of Christ, we need to follow Christ's example by loving others in thought, in word, and in deed. The bad news is we can't grow the fruit of kindness or any of these other fruits on our own, but the good news is we don't have to. God doesn't save us and then tell us to get to the work of sanctification on our own. We rely on God for our sanctification just like we do for our justification. When God saves us, the main difference is that our sanctification, this lifelong process of growing in how much we look like Jesus, that involves our effort as well. We don't do anything to contribute to uh, our salvation. That's all God's work. Even the faith that we respond to God's work with, Paul tells us, is a gift from God. But what happens after salvation, this Christian pattern of putting sin to death, growing in holiness and righteousness, that's a matter of obedience. And we rely on God's Spirit to help us do these things that God has called us to do. We'll look at that more in a moment uh, in our section on the Holy Spirit. For the remainder of our time together, I want us to work our way through uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. So if you want to go ahead and turn there to Ephesians 4, um, what I hope we'll see by going through this passage of Scripture is that one, we need to see the fruit of kindness growing in our lives. I hope that we are all convinced of that when we leave here today. And then two, it is only because of God's work in our lives that we can show kindness to others. So it's because of what God has done, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that we can now show kindness to others. We need to rely on God completely to grow this fruit in us, and we're going to give Him all the glory for doing that work through the presence and the power of His Spirit. So let's read this passage together, and then we'll take a closer look at the fruit of kindness. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. Paul says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do 
and the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you've not let us, uh, left us alone to figure out what it looks like to grow in Christ-likeness, God, but you've given us uh, your word to be a lamp, to be a light, and to guide us, God. Um, we pray now that you would speak to us through, our, through your word, and we pray that that whole, same Holy Spirit that inspired your word uh, would now illuminate it to us. It would open our minds and our eyes and our hearts and would help us apply it rightly so that we may live in obedience to you. We pray all this in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. As we study the fruit of kindness, and this goes for all the fruits of the Spirit, our focus needs to be primarily on God's actions. And then we'll work off of that as a foundation and see how his actions influence and empower our own actions. We'll look at God's kindness toward us and specifically his kindness in sending Christ for us and then we'll look at ending. Uh, we'll end by looking at uh, His Spirit's work in us. Uh, we'll reference several verses from this passage in Ephesians, and then we'll look at some other parts of Scripture as well. Uh, so our first point or principle today is the foundation, foundation on which we want to build the rest of our understanding of kindness, and that is that Christian kindness is a response to God's kindness toward us. Christian kindness is a response to God's kindness toward us. A few verses from our text that highlight this. Um, Paul tells them to put off the old self, the dead self. We just read that in verse 22. And then in verse 24, he tells them to instead put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this new person that they've been called to be was created after the likeness of God. If they're called to be kind as his new creations, then it's because their creator is kind. And then in verse 32, Paul commands them to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So this new lifestyle, this Christian lifestyle that's marked by kindness and tender hearts and forgiveness, it's all going to be in response to the character of God. We are called to be like our Father, and that means we are to be kind to others in the same way that God has been kind to us. The fruit of Christian kindness is rooted in the kindness that God has shown toward us. John says we love because God first loved us. We're going to say in the same way that we are kind because God God was first kind to us. How has God been kind to us? We don't have time 
to count the ways, right? Take a moment and just think through this past week. How long does it take you to remember some way in which God demonstrated his kindness to you? What did you read in God's word this week? Was there abundant evidence there of the kindness of God toward us? Of course there was. We see throughout Scripture that God displays his love by acting in kindness. We have verses like Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He doesn't say in some of his works, but in all his works. God is kind in all he does. Kindness is is as much a part of his being as love or grace or righteousness. So we are kind to others because God has been kind to us. And as we consider God's kindness toward us and how we then respond to that and model that, we can't forget that the kindness that we have received was totally undeserved. And we are totally unworthy recipients of that kindness. Just as we don't deserve God's love, we also don't deserve to benefit from the expression of that love, His kindness toward us. We haven't done anything to earn God's kindness. There's nothing we could do to earn God's kindness. God is kind toward us because he is a kind God. And if we want to see the fruit of kindness growing in our lives, then we have to continually go back and remind ourselves of the kindness of God. We model our kindness after the kindness that he has shown us. And in addition to that kindness being undeserved, we cannot overlook the fact that God shows kindness without distinction. This is what Jesus tells us in Luke Chapter 6, verse 35, that the Most High is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. In Matthew 5, verse 45, Jesus says it this way. He makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What's the context of those verses? Well, it's Jesus teaching his disciples that they are to show love to their enemies because God has shown love to his enemies. We might hear that and say, yes, God has shown his love to them. No, God has shown his love to us. We are the enemies. We were the ones who opposed him and defied him until he intervened and changed our hearts and saved us by his grace through faith. So don't read enemies and think them. Insert your name right there. You can insert my name if it makes you feel better. But all our names belong there. God loved us and showed us his kindness while we were still his enemies. That's Romans 5.8. And if we want to be kind like God is kind, then we need to be willing to love our enemies and find ways to show that love toward them. We don't act like this, do we? We've heard love your enemies all our lives. But when it comes down to us to it, I think we just really don't believe that God actually expects us to act this way. We are so good at justifying our unkindness in our minds. Well, he did this or she said that. Or he treated me this way, so I get a pass on being kind. I'm the great exception to this rule. It's just like patience that we looked at last week. Well, I would be patient, but they're going 15 miles under the speed limit. Right? I have a right to be impatient because they're not doing what I expect them to do. Like anybody can be patient when everyone else is meeting your expectations. It's the same with kindness. We can be kind toward people that are being kind toward us. Anyone can do that. But our call is to be kind to everyone, especially those who mistreat us, because that's the very point at which we need God to intervene and work out kindness in us. This whole section in Galatians is about God's Spirit doing in and through us what we could never do in our flesh. Paul contrasts the flesh with the Spirit. This is what you can do in your flesh. This is what you can do by God's Spirit working in you. Our flesh is opposed to all this, which is why we have to fight so hard not to give in to the desire to respond to unkindness with more unkindness. That's us putting back on the old self. 
But we're called to put on the new self, and the new self responds with kindness when people mistreat us, because that is how God has acted toward us. That is how God has acted toward his enemies. God is kind to all without distinction. He was kind to you and me. Shouldn't we be kind to everyone else as well? We didn't earn God's kindness, yet how many times have we been unkind to others because we don't feel that they've earned our kindness? That's not how God has acted toward us. And we've been called to follow his example, to respond with kindness at all times and in all circumstances. That doesn't mean we overlook sin. Maybe we need to kindly point out where someone else is doing wrong. But we can do so in love and we can do it without trying to make sure that we come out on top. And I think that's where we get hung up a lot of times. We want to make sure that we're vindicated, that we don't have to sacrifice in any way. God is the judge. That means we don't have to worry about vindicating ourselves to everyone around us. We can show kindness even to people who have wronged us. Because one, we know what it's, it's, what's God, it's what God has called us to do. We do it because it's a matter of obedience. And then two, we know that God is the one responsible for punishing any evil that's been shown toward us. If I'm resting in his goodness and in his sovereignty, then I don't have to worry about getting mine. I've already gotten so much more than I deserve from God. And knowing that should motivate me to show kindness to everyone that I encounter. We see this most clearly in what we have received through Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. I want to read from Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, and that will transition us into our next section. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. How has God shown us kindness? He's done it by sending His Son to die for us and to justify us, not because we deserved it, because we didn't, but according to His mercy, because of who He is. That's the same kindness and love and mercy that we should show toward others. And if we belong to God through Christ, And we are going to model that same kindness that he has shown toward us when God sent Christ to take our place and reconcile him to ourselves. Our second point there, Christian kindness is a reflection of Christ's love for us. It is a reflection of Christ's love for us. So it's a response to what God has done for us. And then it's a reflection of the love that we see in Jesus. A A few verses from our Ephesians passage that we draw this principle from. First, Uh, Paul talks about the sinful ways that the Gentiles act. And then in verse 20, he says, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. In other words, what you learned about Jesus doesn't line up with the way that the world acts. We need to reflect Christ in all we do, and that includes showing kindness to others. Then in verse 32, which we've already read, Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. If you want to know what uh, kindness looks like what forgiveness and a tender heart look like, then look to Christ. Let his kindness, his forgiveness inform how you act toward others. And then if we skip ahead a little bit, just to uh, chapter 5 and verse 2, you'll see Paul says, And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So Paul sums up this section section of exhortation to these believers by pointing to Christ again and telling these believers to walk 
and love. So Paul can summarize everything that he's told them about walking in the Spirit, living like Christ, by saying we ought to walk in love. Uh, This isn't the only time Paul uses love to sum up what the Christian life ought to look like. Uh, We, of course, think of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul's great treatise on love, and everything he says about being patient and kind and not arrogant or rude is there to give us a picture of what it looks like to live a life of love. And what he says here is that living a life of love means living like Jesus. We're to show love to others by being kind because it is a reflection of the loving kindness that Jesus has shown us. I know this is essentially point one, phrased in a different way, uh, that we are to show kindness because we've been shown kindness. But I want to focus in on this specific display of God's kindness toward us, His act of sending Christ on our behalf. Like we've already said, we could point to a million examples of God's kindness toward us. But when the writers of the New Testament wanted to point to one example that served as the great display of God's love and kindness, they always went back to Christ. God's love was made manifest in the kindness that he showed us by sending Jesus to save us. I've already alluded to Romans 5, 8. God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sending Christ to save sinners was the great demonstration of God's love and kindness. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. How did he do that? By sending Christ to die for us and then raising Christ from the dead. We were his enemies, we were dead in sin, yet God still sent Christ for us. And then 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Again, we say kindness is love made manifest. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. If you want to know what love is, look to the cross and Christ's sacrifice on our behalf. It's where God demonstrated his great love for us. And of course, it is the great display of Christ's own love for us as well. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ didn't begrudgingly go to the cross for us. He wasn't trying to do something nice for people that he didn't like. It was out of his deep love for God and his love for us that Jesus endured the cross. And it's that same love that motivates our lives now. It's his love for us that drives us to show love to God and to others. So what does it mean that the kindness we show should reflect the kindness and love we've been shown by Christ? So what should our kindness look like if we want want it to look like the kindness of Jesus? A Jesus-reflecting kindness should be sacrificial. It should be costly. It should be self-denying. We should be so focused on the good of others that we will show them kindness even when it costs us something. And again, we're not just talking about people who deserve it. We may find it easy to be kind to our family and our friends, but what about people we consider our enemies? Would 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 we be willing to wash the feet of those who oppose us, to go out of our way to serve them or bless them in some way? What about people who are just different from us? It's easy to find ways to show kindness to people who are already in our circle, people that we understand. It might cost us something to serve people that we don't know much about. Is our kindness costing us anything? God's great demonstration of his kindness cost him his own son. It cost Jesus his life to show us the kindness of making our salvation possible. 
It was kindness we didn't even know we needed. It was kindness we weren't asking for, but that we were actually desperate for. Are we going out of our way, sacrificing our comfort to show kindness to those around us? I know this probably sounds like a guilt trip. I don't mean it to be that. I just want us believing, excuse me, I don't want us believing that we are practicing kindness when we're not. Being an all-around nice person doesn't cut it. If we don't have a love for people that looks like Jesus' love for us, and if we aren't willing to follow his example of showing love and kindness, even at great personal cost, then we're not really being obedient to God's command to be kind. We need to ask God to give us his Christ-like love for others. And then we need to obey as he gives us opportunities to demonstrate that love in meaningful ways. Finally, we have to remember that Christian kindness is a result of the Spirit's work in us. It is a result of the Spirit's work in us. It's a response to God's love. It's a reflection of Christ's love. And it's a result of the Spirit's work in us. This point is so crucial. If you leave here this morning believing that it's just up to you to try harder, to be more kind, you've only gotten half the message. Yes, we have to put in the effort to try to cultivate these fruits in our lives. We want to maintain the right conditions in our lives for these fruits to grow, like humility, purity, intimacy with God. We can't be actively resisting God and expect that we're going to see much growth and holiness. But we also have to remember that this is ultimately His work. We can plant and water and weed and do everything else, but it's God who causes the growth. And when we realize that it is only by His Spirit that we can experience true spiritual growth, We'll have the motivation we need to continue on in this path of sanctification. We'll have the confidence that God will complete His good work in us. In verse 30 of our passage, Paul warns the believers not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's telling them that by acting contrary to God's Spirit, they are actively grieving Him. The Spirit of God doesn't want these sinful patterns in their lives. He wants to grow the fruits of righteousness and holiness. That's the job God has given him to do in our lives. So instead of falling back into our old sinful habits, we need to be walking in the Spirit and allowing him to grow the right fruit in us. This is exactly what Paul is trying to emphasize by calling them the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, these qualities are the result of having God's Spirit living in us and working in us. It's the overflow of his presence in our lives. The Spirit is going to do his work of changing our hearts And the result will be this spiritual fruit that reflects the character of our Father. There's also something really interesting in verse 31 of our Ephesians passage. So if you look there, Paul warns us about bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice. But does he say, put these things away? Now, what does he say? He says, let them be put away from you. The verb here is a passive verb that literally means Let them be taken away from you. Who's going to take them away? God is through His Spirit at work in them. The Spirit is going to do His job of helping us put off the old man and put on the new, of putting to death our old self and living in the new life we have in Jesus. Now, He's not just going to do all the work while we sit back and wait for Him to make us more loving and kind. We sometimes talk about sanctification as though our only responsibility is just to let go and let God. Like we don't play any part in it. There's a reason the New Testament is full of commands, right? We are to work out our salvation. 
We are meant to strive to grow in righteousness and to see those sinful behaviors that used to characterize our lives gradually diminish, continually diminish. So we want to affirm both of these realities this morning. Yes, we have a responsibility to grow in holiness and to aim to look more like Jesus every day, but we also affirm that it's only through the power and the presence of God's Spirit living and working in us that we have any hope of achieving this goal. We can't just leave here and decide to be more kind and tender-hearted. It will take a work of God in our hearts to do that. Now, we want to create the right conditions for the fruit of kindness to grow. We want to stay close to God. We want to be obedient to His will in our lives. And we want to remain in total dependence on Him to do that work in us that only He can do. He'll receive all the glory for making us more like Christ. And we will receive the blessings that come from living as He has called us to live. I hope we see something of the depth of what it means to obey God's call, to be kind to those around us, whether it's family, friends, people in the church, or people outside the church. We are to possess a love for others that is expressed in tangible and meaningful ways. And that love is rooted in the love that God has shown us. It's more than just being nice. Nice is great. The call of Christ is to love others, not just externally through what we do for them, but internally as well. It's not something we can do on our own. It's not something we can manufacture. We need God's Spirit to grow this fruit in our lives, and we need to be doing all we can to create the right conditions for that fruit to grow. How do we do that? We do that by preaching the gospel to ourselves daily. We remind our souls that we were totally undeserving of God's kindness, but because of God's love for us, He has showered us with kindness. And He has done so most clearly by sending Christ to save us by dying for us. If we truly understand the great love and kindness that God has shown us through Christ, then we will want to show that same love and kindness to others. We rehearse the kindness of God that we read about in His Word. We remember and we worship God for all the ways He has been kind to us in our lives. We trust in God and we continue to entrust ourselves to Him. And we pray with expectation for Him to make us into more kind and loving people. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were saved by God so that we could do the good works that He created us to do. Those good works don't save us. Remember, they're the fruit of our salvation. They're not the root of our salvation. They demonstrate that God has saved us and that His Spirit is residing in us and helping us work out our salvation. We were created for good works, and that means we were created for kindness. Being a kind person isn't an optional add-on to the Christian life. It's an indispensable part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We respond to God's kindness. We reflect the love of Jesus, and then we experience the results of His Holy Spirit working in us when we show Christian kindness to others. Opportunities to show kindness are not interruptions to the plan. They are part of God's plan. Showing kindness isn't easy. In so many ways, it goes against our natural bent to do what's best for us, to look out for number one. But it's what God has called us to. Our responsibility is to accept the cost of obedience, to pray for opportunities to show kindness, and to rely on Him as we obey His leading. Jesus said people would know we were His disciples by our love for one another. Showing kindness to one another will give evidence of that love 
So I pray that kindness is a fruit we grow in more and more. I want to close by reading Colossians 3, verses 12 through 14 as a final charge for us this morning. Paul says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul starts this passage talking about compassionate hearts. He ends with putting on love. This is all about the love that we have for others. And I pray these words characterize our church as we continue to grow in Christ-likeness for the glory of God and for the good of our church, our community, and our world. Maybe God is leading you this morning to repent of being unkind toward others. Maybe you found yourself saying, you know what, I, I actually don't think that person is deserving of my kindness. They've done too much against me for me to show kindness toward them. We all do that. We all trick ourselves into believing that we're the exception to this command to demonstrate kindness in our everyday lives. We're not. This is laid on every believer, every person who has the Spirit of Christ living in them. So maybe God is calling you to repent of your unkindness. Maybe God is calling you to believe this morning. Maybe you've looked at the Christian life and just thought, you know, those are some good principles I'd like to add on to my life. You know, I'd like to be a better person and have more joy and love and peace and all of this. Um, it doesn't work that way. It works by confessing that we're a sinner, by repenting of our sin, by trusting in Christ, and then uh, letting Christ work these things out in our lives through His Spirit that lives in us. If God's calling you to respond in those ways uh, this morning, I pray that you would. Uh, I will uh, be over here after the service. Uh, some of our other pastors as well. We'd love to talk with you uh, about that and help you obey as God is leading. Um, I pray that we continue to grow in all of these fruits. They're all vital to our Christian life. None of them are easy, um, but we thank God that he's given us his, his spirit to empower us, to give us the motivation to obey as he leads. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for loving us when we did not love you. God, you loved first. You showed kindness first. You showed mercy first. You showed grace first. So if there's any way, God, in which we are showing love and kindness and mercy and grace, it is only because we have experienced it through you, through Christ. We have tasted, Lord, and we have seen that you are good. And God, our heart's desire is to display, to manifest that goodness out toward others in the way that we act, in the way that we live, with those we know, with those we don't know, God, that people would be able to look at us and know that we belong to Christ because of the love that we have for one another. God, we can only show that love if we have experienced that love. God, I pray that that is true of every person in this room this morning, that we would accept that love, God, that we would repent, that we would believe that you loved us even while we were your enemies, loved us enough to send Christ to save us. God, we thank you for that truth. We pray, God, that you would do your work in our hearts through your word, through your spirit, through this community of believers to make us more like Christ, to produce these fruits in our hearts and our lives. We pray you would do that for your glory, for our good. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Edwards Road Baptist Church. We hope you are meaningfully involved in a local church, but if you aren't, we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings as we worship God and hear from His Word together. 
You can find more information about our church by visiting our website at edwardsroad.org. 